Welcome to After Hours, an interview podcast series from Lady. I am Laura McClaus Helms, a fashion and cultural historian. So much of what I am seeking to learn about in the interviews for Ladies After Hours is about how cultural creatives have followed their passions in order to mold their ideal lives and careers. What choices have they made? Where did those choices lead them? What was unexpected? What was better than they ever could have expected? The paths my interviewees have taken are quite diverse, but they are always driven by a depth of curiosity and enthusiasm that is outside of the normal constraints of society and business. While the last episode focused on the beauty side of the fashion and film world, for this episode I sat down with photographer and filmmaker Willie Christie. I first connected with him a few years ago when I came across a photo in Thea Porter's papers of one of her gypsy dresses stamped with his name on the back. It turned out to have been shot during one of his first photo shoots ever, taken of his then girlfriend who had borrowed the dress from Thea. He kindly allowed me to use it in my book and exhibition on Thea Porter, so I was very pleased to finally get the chance to talk with him during my visit to London in May. Our conversation follows his career from photo assistant to photographer to commercial director to screenwriter to today. A wonderfully gossipy conversation. Willie was full of interesting stories and memories about his time as a fashion photographer in the 1970s, when he was married to Grace Coddington and shooting primarily for British folk. We also chatted about the famous photographers he knew, Irving Penn, David Bailey, Barry Ladigan, Guy Bourdin, and the bands he photographed, including the Rolling Stones and Pink Floyd. A must-listen for anyone interested in photography, we discussed the differences between fashion photography then and now, his creative process, and so much more. Head to ladyworlds.tv to see a slideshow I put together, read a short biography of him, and to sign up for our newsletter. Enjoy. Thank you so much for listening. You know, it's an absolute pleasure. I'm extremely honored. Yeah, I just you know, loved your photos that I've, you know, over the years saw in British Vogue. And then when I was doing the research on th- through Thea's archive a couple of years ago, and yeah. I found that really early picture of yours. The, the oh, yeah, the Thea Porter. Yeah. yeah. That's, I think, when the first time I ever got in touch with you was about that picture, was about the gypsy that. Yeah. dress yeah. picture. Yeah, it was. But yeah, I just loved your photos and wanted to Thank chat you. with you. Thank you very much. Um, yes, that was, uh, I think it was about the first, that was before, because I worked for Clive Arrowsmith. Um, we had a very mad uh, ten months. And that was just before I joined him, I think. And... So, and that was my girlfriend at the time who I used, and she had some connection with Thea Porter, so borrowed that dress. Mm-hmm. I tell you what, they were for, they were for, um, God, what was it then? Maybe it was Queen, or was it Harper's Queen? Whatever, one of the incarnations of, of that. And they were holding a competition. So okay. I thought, oh, well, this is a piece of piss, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'll win this. So anyway, I did that, and um, yeah, didn't, wasn't placed. <laughs> How did you get it? Were you always interested in photography? Or? No, not at all. I'd wanted to do film from the age of about 14, I think, and never considered photography. Um, I was in Australia. Uh, we, we boys, a lot of we boys got sent to Australia. Did you ever know that? No. Sort of in the, in the 60s to, if we were kind of making fools of ourselves and not getting a job and, you know, just misbehaving. We were sent to Australia, our parents would go, oh, right, you're off to Australia for a year, preferably to work on a ranch or a sheep farm. Instead and of this going is to going university? To make a ma- this is going to make a man of you. But instead of going to university or...? Yeah, university then was um, 
uh, that was for people who were bright, okay. actually. I mean, you went for a reason, mostly. Whereas now, you know, it's completely the opposite. And uh, so there was no way I was going to... And, and then my parents wanted me to go into the army because it wasn't long after um, conscription, I guess. So they thought that was another thing that you did. You sort of went and you did three years in the army and made a man of you and then you, you know, you were able to cope with the world. <laughs> <laughs> so that must have been about 65, 6. Um, anyway, none of that worked out and um, thank God. So then my parents said, right, go off to Australia for 10 months, yeah, and uh, make your own way and then come back and you can do whatever you want. Go to London, because I was brought up in the country. <clears throat> so I did, and in Australia, I remember I saw Blow Up. Have you ever seen Blow Up? Yeah, I love Blow Up. It's so good, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I saw that, and I, I mean, I really enjoyed it, but there was no way that it resonated in any way um, or preempted in any way that this, this is what I might do. So a great film. Anyway, um, I came back, faffed around, and then I, would, I was looking for a job in, in movies, but that was kind of the end of the... That must have been about 67. So there'd been that good space of black and white kitchen sink dramas, mm. you know, Saturday night and Sunday morning and everything. Albert Finney and Co. And then it had gone into a fallow period, so and I managed to get myself onto a few sets and it was like and then I realised that to do this I was really going to have to start at the bottom and make the tea. And that just kind of seemed this could take me forever, you know, to do that and work my way up. So somehow, I mean not that I knew anything about it, I realised that this was not the way I was gonna do it. My sister was going out with somebody called David Anthony, who you may not have heard of. He was doing a lot of work for Queen and okay. various others. And he, he lived with Celia Hammond for a while. So he was kind of, you know, he was, he was good. He was a photographer. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, and he never, he, I don't think he ever worked for Vogue, but he used to do half as Queen or Queen or whatever. And very good. And he, so we, we'd become good friends and then his assistant was away for... A uh, couple of weeks. So I said, oh, come and help you out. Went for the two weeks, stayed for a year until he and my sister broke up. <laughs> that was the end of that. Yeah, that was it. I thought, this is really good. Because then it occurred to me that I could, I could do that and I could be learning all the time. Yeah, so I stayed, yeah, working for him for about 10 months. Then I think I had about a year, that's probably, that was after that then that I did those Thea Porter pictures. And, um, and then I worked for Clive Arrowsmith, which was, I know, I've there's a Clive, book, yeah. you've met Clive, yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen, he lives not far away, he's actually yeah, in Bedford Park, I think. I've been to um, And uh, I know I can say pretty much about anything because he's writing, he's doing his, he's doing a blog, isn't he? Yeah. Have you seen his blog? I mean, I've seen him on, no, but on I've, Instagram. I've, he, I've interviewed him a couple of years ago. Right, did you? For Thea Porter, because we used, we used a couple of pictures. Oh, that's right, yes, because he was, at, that picture was on the cover, right, thing, yeah. was it, of Annie Schaefer's. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, um, that's right. And then for another project I was doing also. Yeah, yeah. That was great. We had a really good year. 
very mad, very ill-disciplined. Um, and uh, but he was very into music in those days, playing guitar, and I was. And so if there was anything to be photographed during the day, fine, we'd do it. And then we'd just sit around at night and other people would come around with guitars and we'd sit and smoke and play and drink. And <laughs> Where was the studio? Until the next... Uh, we worked out of his house at Abingdon Road, which is okay. just, you know, just off Kent High Street. Mm -hmm. 46 Abingdon Road. So that was the house that saw some life. Um, he was married, um, had two children, I think. Um, yeah, but it was... A, yeah, it was good, good time, and we even did a few, a few gigs, uh, which were a total disaster. Although there was one, there was a, there was a, a boat on the Thames called the Sloop John D, which was a kind of nightclub. Uh, bit odd. Anyway, we got a gig there, and um, we ended up so everybody came, and there was um, Bob Weston who later went on to play with Fleetwood Mac, Mickey Finn, you know, a few professionals and us. It must be the most terrible dip. <laughs> everybody just plugged in. Uh, but a lot of fun. A lot of fun. And then Clive went on, actually Clive wrote a couple of songs I think with Boz Skaggs and did other things. And then, yeah, so then that was, by way, I mean, Clive really taught me a lot, and that, he was doing his best work, I think, then, and all his vogue work mm -hmm. Dan was having, and working with Grace, and I then started going out with Grace's assistant, who is Patricia McRoberts, who is now Patricia Hipwood. So we were kind of a little foursome on about it, going off on trips, you know, it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Fun and friendly, yeah, that was great. We had a sort of, not a falling out, not Clive and I having a falling out, but we went to Milan, Clive and I, and Annie Schaefer's the thing. And um, anyway, it all went ratchet. I ended up, oh, somebody stole my guitar off the train. It was a whole thing kind of went mad. And Jan Ward, was living in Milan with Peter Stemmer. So um, I went to stay with them for a night and then I just went to the airport the next day. I mean, you couldn't get away with this sort of thing now, <laughs> could you? My God. So poor old Clive was, what, Willie, where have you gone? What's happening? So, so that was it, anyway. That. Yeah, and then I had about three years of kind of just trying to do stuff. That old Catch-22 situation having having no pictures, trying to get a few pictures together and going to see people. And then they say, yeah, but you haven't got any published work. Yes, but <laughs> give me some and then I'll have some. So, yeah, and it took about three years, I think, to, to take off. And I, started, I did a lot of work for over 21, mm -hmm. which was great. I mean, that became... And I just... There was one shoot, I remember, that was the shoot. I was kind of... Because when you start, you, you do what you know. So there was obviously a lot of Clive in there. You know, so the first few shoots, that was that. But it wasn't... It was great, but... Um, and then there was just one shoot where it kind of... I knew that was it. I pushed it just that little bit further. And it kind of took off from there. 
Did you enjoy doing fashion photography? Yeah, I was never interested really in fashion, but the whole thing, I think, of, of beauty and... I mean, I still wanted to do movies, and I just loved movies. So movies was my great influence in that. Yeah, a lot of them are quite... Your photos are very cinematic. Yeah, and that was sort of always there. The lighting, it was all... Kind of, so everything was just had that influence kind of busting through. But, I, I mean, fashion itself, not really. Not at all, actually. <laughs> but, you know, if that's great, that's great. Anyway, then, yeah, so then Grace and I... Yeah, so we got together, and then we did a whole lot of work together. Or, no, I did a whole lot of the pictures that I wanted to do using her, which we just did. We kind of set up in the kitchen or wherever. And, um, and then I was sort of battling on, and then finally, finally, it came through. It was um, Terry Jones, who was the art director. He said, listen, I'm seeing Willie's pictures around, I think. Is it, is it time? Should we give him one? And that was it, so good old Terry. Um, and that was it. I mean, that was, that was wonderful because it was living together and so we were talking about it all the time. I mean, Grace, have you met Grace? Very, very focused on fashion, as you can imagine. So I would have an idea for something. God, it'd be really nice if I... And then she'd go, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I've got something coming up. Oh, maybe that. So we were kind of, <clears throat> it was all kind of pre planned between us, you know, my idea, her idea, her clothes. Oh, that'd be good. We could do it. So, I mean, it was a great working relationship. Wonderful. And then off it went. Yeah. And off then, it took. And then once you started doing Vogue, did other things start coming? Yeah, album, well, album covers were great in those days. So I did a few of those. Um, and advertising to yeah. make the money. Money, yeah. That's, that's what <laughs> I was really money. wondering about. That's so, um, give you some stability, right? Yeah, exactly. Had to do that. And the album covers did a bit. And then I got, so I was still working out. I had, um, we had a spare room in, in our house where we were living. And uh, so I used that as a studio. And then I got a studio, somebody called Julian Cottrell, who was a still life photographer, very good, in Holland Park. Mm-hmm. So I got that. And then I worked with being an assistant. Vogue Studios were on the sixth floor of Panama Square. Um, and they were just great. I mean, there were four studios there. And so there was always somebody working in one of the studios. And then one time Irving Penn came and he was doing his flowers from the flower book. And so everybody, I mean, to a man, I think I was still with Clyde and, was like, and he would arrive in his suit and he'd get into his dungarees. And um, he was trying to see lightings and that whole thing. And then he'd have one rose and then it would sort of die overnight. And then he'd suddenly photograph it. He's like, what? <laughs> but it was, uh, you know, he was the sort of great star. But I, you know, there was Parkinson and Bailey and everybody just shooting up there. So it was a fantastic atmosphere. Um, anyway, yeah, so then I got my own studio. Because actually my career was pretty short. I mean, I started taking off, I guess, in, you know, 
sort of 72, 70, 73 kind of thing. So I kind of stopped, and then Grace and I split up about 78, I think. And so that was pretty much, Anna Harvey went on using me for editorial, but gradually, no more. I was doing a lot of Vogue promotion still. Uh, and then I had a client called Medway Shoes, and they were wonderful. They just would send me the shoes, and they would tell me what issue for what magazine, so they'd do it. So it was a kind of, but they didn't have mega budget, like Jordan. Mm -hmm. But it was kind of, you know, it was my little Jordan. Uh, so I could just do whatever, and then I'd just send it off to the magazine, and they were happy with anything I did. And then I wrote a little commercial. By that point, then, it was time to move on to commercials to follow the film thing and um, so I wrote this little commercial which they no they wouldn't pay for so I paid for it and had it done in my studio and they paid for it to go on in the cinema so that was kind of that calling card and, and you just taught yourself how to use the video camera no in those days I so Julian Cottrell whose studio I bought he was just down the road and he was making commercials, so he kind of produced it. So okay. he said, okay, you need this and that. So he got all the crew together. I lit it. Yeah, I don't know if it, well, you, maybe you could do it. He, as it turned out, banging on a bit, about three years later when I was um, trying to find a production company to join, and I went to see somebody called Sid Robeson, who was kind of big in commercials. Mm -hmm. He'd been a photographer. And I knew him, and uh, anyway, I left him my reel. I went to see him, we had a chat. He said, okay, yeah, well, you know, maybe. And then he called me later, and he said, this film for Midway, is it yours? Went, yeah, so it's my stills plant, don't it? Anyway, Julian Cottrell had ended up putting it on his reel. I don't know who Sid believed, really, <laughs> but it was kind of a bit, bit, uh, bit awkward. But then I joined another company, or I found a company that I joined. They were absolutely furious about it, and they got a piece printed in um, Campaign, saying Julian's hotcakes and the film that never was or something. Anyway, he turned up in the office absolutely actually. He was kind of batty. I mean, he's still alive, so maybe we shouldn't... I don't know, care what you say. <laughs> so, um, but it was. I mean, he'd, he'd operated the camera, but he'd kind of put it on his house reel as, I mean, his excuse was that it was done because he produced it, mm -hmm. he could put it on his reel. So yeah, I did that. And then, then I got, so at that time, I was living with another relationship which ended and I was living above the garage at my sister and brother-in-law's. And he was Roger Waters from Pink Floyd. And so we used to hang out and talk a lot. And then he was making, they were making Final Cut. So I did the stills for that. And he suddenly said, um, do you want to do a video, promo? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I got that together. That was sort of 20 minutes. So that then was how the whole kind of commercial started. I mean, a lot of people, Mike McCoskey and other people who had been doing stills, John Swannell, um, he went on doing stills, I mean, still is, but was doing commercials as well. 
Um, I couldn't do that. I just uh, so I sold the studio and just just that was it. Commercials. Bye. Bye. Stills. So that must have been I don't know about it, sort of eighty three, eighty four. I mean, looking back now, I kind of there's part of me that wishes I no. It's I'd love to go back to those days because they were a lot of fun and do that again. Mm-hmm. But then it all changed, didn't it? Sort of the 80s, I think, that it became... I mean, the whole look changed, that yeah. kind of European look changed, didn't it? It became um, uh, Calvin Klein and, you know, everything was much fresher and um, simpler, really. They were great days. We'd go off on a trip and there'd be... You wouldn't even get a hairdresser. I mean, basically, before of you, you know, my assistant, Grace, say, a model. And off we go. And then you have a car and you just drive around. Oh, that looks nice. Right, stop and do. It's great. Yeah, that's... Because now, I gather, oh, it's kind of 50 men and a dog, isn't it? You know, and you just had your Polaroids to kind of look at it. And then you come back and then heart in mouth until <laughs> you got the build back. Did you find doing commercials more fulfilling? I loved it. I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. But even that's changed now. So what had happened at the end of the 60s, there had been a big sea change. Sort of Ridley Scott, um, Adrian Lyne, Tony Scott, um, none of the boys who went on to do movies. And the whole advertising had changed and it had become a slice of life. Mm-hmm. You know, lovely little stories. Colin Dickinson and Pierce were doing these great, great ads, and then everybody else followed through, really. Suit. And um, uh, so, riding on the back of that, you know, it was great. It was kind of a continuation of the art. Everybody was looking for art, you know, how far could we get it? Kind of being arty without, uh, you know, and selling the product. I love the fact that everybody, you can. I mean, some people don't, but I love the fact of getting everybody else involved, you know, people who are specialised in their field and having a good operator, who can yeah. obviously do a thousand times better than me, and a lighting cameraman who, because you then discuss it with a lighting cameraman, and then he goes, oh yeah, okay, well maybe we could do a bit of that. And then it's, you know, so it just gets better. Big if you al- process. Yeah, if you allow everybody to have their say, um, it's great, it's wonderful, love it, absolutely loved it. And then that went on until the kind of end of the last century, it sounds ancient, doesn't it? Um, and then kind of commercials, then they changed again, then they went through another sea change. So everybody, we'd all been learning, because it's just a wonderful way of learning how to put film, bits of film together. and. Um, that suddenly sort of ended, and the, and the new kids on the block came in from National Film School. They sh- threw out continuity people, and it's just like, okay, and they did their own operating, and all that sort of, you know, everything mm. was kind of moving and rocking and swaying. And I know, by about 2001, two, couldn't get myself arrested, me and everybody else, pretty much. Then I started writing screenplays. But okay, this is the only way to do this write my own screenplay and direct it. Mm-hmm. But I'm a terribly slow learner, obviously. <laughs> so, so by the time I had a sort of screenplay, and also it was all starting to get too big. I mean, the screenplay is sort of big and expensive. So I was kind of writing myself out of a job. And also after about 
two years and I wasn't really making commercials. It was like, uh, will you who? Anyway, I went on doing that till sort of today things. There was a time, I guess, in the early 2000s, when so I had all my, I mean, I've got pretty much all my negatives and transparencies. I've got all my Vogue stuff. You know, it had been from the studio, and then it was at home, and then it was in between times, then it had been in storage. It was like, and then, I thought, oh, for God's sake, don't need all this, done it. And I was literally going to do a Duffy. Do you know, oh, yeah. you know the Duffy story? Yeah. 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 Uh, just because it seemed like, what's the point? Because actually pictures then hadn't really started selling, had they? I mean, you know, some of the elders and Penn and the old Avedon, if you could get hold of one, and the horse of people. But I mean, photography hadn't become a big yeah, seller's yeah. thing, had it? Um, and then my brother-in-law, he said, why don't you scan it? Scan it all down. I was like, what? What? I can do that onto a computer. So I bought a scanner. And then when I started seeing it all together, I thought, oh, it was quite nice, actually. It was all sort of, um, I suppose it was quite big. But it was great. I mean, I think, um, I think, I think that, ti- that seven, the time in the 70s was one of the best times. And Beatrix Miller was, was running Vogue. Uh, Barney Wan, who I saw last night, he'd just, he'd been art director. He was a fabulous art director because given the camera, he wouldn't know what to do with it. Couldn't take a picture, it was all me- mechanical. But he knew what to do with the picture and he would lay them out. So all the photographers, this is marvellous, you know, if you shot it square, Barney would do his best to square it up on the page. And then Terry arrived with his much more, with his sort of upfront, slash it, yeah. put on the colourful type. I was like, what the fuck's he done? <laughs> and, uh, but he was the jelly picture. Yeah, I was about to say, he did the cover, right? He did that. And that was, that was taken as part of a green promotion. I used to do two colour promotions a year, I think. And that was a green colour promotion. And it was just green and it started off and it was so she was at Marty was eating jelly had a green cap on green shirt and it was just you know so we started doing like that it's just like really just doesn't do it um and then somehow I went in tight history doesn't relate whose idea it was whether somebody said or whether I said I don't know but just going in tight and, and that was it so it wasn't meant as a cover um, and then Terry, God bless him, put it on the cover. And then they tried to pull it, Bernie Lesser, I think, tried to pull it a couple of weeks before, because it crossed all the boundaries, you know, no green, no food. Um, anyway, it was too late, because I think it had gone to the printing block or whatever it was in those days. But I feel like it's such a incredible cover, still. It's still it is, really, isn't it? Like, I think really it still does it, still yeah. striking. Yeah. Uh, God bless Terry for that, you know. Cause, uh, and then he'd been pushing it. And I think Beatrix Miller then said, you know, no, no, come on, that's it, we're running. And because it was so different, um, I think it sold a lot. I mean, it was certainly the best selling that year. But, yeah, no, it still, it still works. And a lot of the covers were, were good and different, I think. Yeah, I think much more striking than 
most of the things you see today or yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And especially and also even just when you look at all of the sort of vogue british or american vogue covers for decades yeah you can sort of see these like little times that really have different striking covers and i right. think that period yeah has a lot of them yeah it was a TV show which is still sort of in development. So I did a lot of research for that, and I found then a lot of the covers, there's people in the 40s, I guess, they were kind of up against the same difficulties with whoever the editor was at the time of, uh, you know, we're trying to sell clothes, mm-hmm. um, we don't need your art, you know, I mean, Horst and people like that. And it's quite nice to know that that's been kind of going through. But Beatrix was just wonderful. Yeah, but it was just a great, just a great time. Just a great time. And how lucky am I? You were just, you were posting all these amazing photos from, like, what was it, a, a Harrods catalogue? On a Harrods. boat. Harrods. That was a good shoot. Yeah. <laughs> Another good shoot. Yes, that was sort of one of the last, one of the last shoots. I do, I think. Um, it was absolutely great. We went, we had Anna Curtis. I can't remember the name. I wish, did you know about Donovan? I'll tell you Donovan. Mm-hmm. Every single shoot, he had a book and he did a little sketch of his lighting and the exposure yeah. of the thing and who it was and the hairdresser and the makeup and what the weather was like almost. <laughs> God, no, I wish I'd done that. I mean, I've still got my book of how many rolls of film and who the client was, but I never kept a record of the model. I mean, there was a book, it was a sort of workbook we had, but it was never done like that, and I wish it had been. You know, who, who did the hair and who did the... Yeah, I mean, I've seen, yeah, I've seen Terry's and I've seen Norman Parkinson's, and they're all, like, super... Oh, Parks, I wondered. Yeah. Oh, did you? Yeah. So it's a shame. So, but actually, through Instagram, it's sort of quite nice. Occasionally, people will go such and such, you know, Barbara Daly or whoever it was. When you, you were working with Clive and everything in the late mm. 60s, did you know, were you interacting with all the other photographers or were you just sort of doing your own thing? What, the during Clive? Well, during Clive and then later on, I guess, was, was there interaction between you, all of you or was it each one to themselves? No, I think there was interaction going on. I mean, certainly at Vogue Studios. After Vogue Studios uh, came Hoborn Studios, and that became the same thing, sort of six studios and, and different people working out there, Donovan, uh, or whoever. I know he used to work there a lot. And um, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Um, you know, ego, ego art, it's like musicians kind of nobody else is any good mm-hmm. really which is why I absolutely I adore Bailey because not that I was any threat but he was so supportive and um, I mean we used to when I was with Grace we used to see him quite a lot and we had at one point um, Marie was living in our house yeah. I suppose she must have come there. so she was sort of lodging upstairs and when their relationship started um, Bailey would arrive in the afternoon and then I'd make myself scarce in the kitchen <laughs> it was and then they'd reappear a cup of tea um, but no he was he was just wonderful um, to me and, and you know to Beatrix and whatever I mean always just supportive and that's 
uh, can never forget that. It's too good. I think there sort of comes a level, doesn't it? And I've found it with musicians too. That they kind of, anybody else, they can't kind of see other people's art for what it is. Maybe not their, um, exactly their cup of tea, but there's something going on. And it's always kind of, ah, oh, God, ghastly. You know, well, he's terrible, she's terrible. Um, but when it but, but when it works, when people have respect for each other, and musicians have respect for each other, and photographers have respect for each other, it's great, I think. But I think there's probably always a certain amount of reserve. Yeah. You know, because you don't want to give too much away, do you? And what you're working on. I think I was incredibly lucky that... Um, uh, I suppose because, I mean... Being with Grace, being with Patricia first and then being with Grace gave me a kind of credibility. Um, even though, when I went off to do, uh, there was a Scottish story, um, again, a colour promotion, which was the first big one, and we went off up to Scotland, took a car, took a Range Rover, those sort of early days, and um, drove up and, and Sheila Wetton said, um, apparently, after we gone, I mean, I can't understand why they've given a boy a man's job. <laughs> I mean, I was 24. So there was that, but I mean, she was very, Sheila was very sharp, but she was divine and lovely too. Anyway, apparently, when we came back, I said, nope, I take it all back. <laughs> <laughs> so there's always that sort of bit of snippy that goes mm -hmm. on, I think, isn't there? But I think I was just incredibly lucky, really. I think that's very, very young, you know, to be getting yeah. start. Yeah, yeah, actually. I don't know how, um, how young people are now, what, what sort of age they start getting the magazines. I think to get the big jobs in Vogue, you're not... It's your yeah, yeah, 30s, 30s, 40s, yeah. probably. But all that, um, I mean, Demarchalier and Weber and Mario, are they all just not working now? I mean, Mario's in Brazil, I Yeah, Mario's, yeah. I mean, obviously, Definitely don't, not don't print this, but no. I just, I'm out of um, interest. Weber seems to be working. Oh, is he? Um, I was having a discussion about this the other day, about the sort of Me Too fallout with Weber yeah. and Testino, but Testino, yeah, seems to be done, yeah. from what I've heard. And then, yeah. But it is interesting, looking back. I, I think about it sometimes, and how women, or it seems to have become that women never had a chance and they were never used and they were all in the subservient roles. I've worked with women all my life, and absolutely the opposite. So it's never been something that has occurred to me. Mm -hmm. You know, making commercials, um, most of the producers were women. And incredibly good too. And then all the women fashion editors, and Sarah Moon and Deborah Turbanville and all of that. So it's kind of weird. Suddenly then it's become... But then it's that's from other jobs, I guess, isn't it? Other areas, you know, where women have been treated badly and... Um, 
yeah. I mean, I kind think... of push upon. And it's kind of weird because it's just something, you know, my bad. It's just something I never, and other people I talked to have been through the same thing, never, never sort of crossed our minds because we were all equal. Everybody mm-hmm. was doing great jobs. There was a guy who interviewed me years ago, and his name escapes me. And he was, he wrote, so I think he did write this book, as a kind of expose about um, models um, being used for sex and drugs and rock and roll. If you told me his name, I'd probably get it. And he was trying to, he was desperately trying to get it out of me. I was going, no, I mean, we go, I go off and do a job. And that was it. The job was the thing. And he was sort of really disappointed. <laughs> I probably obviously didn't end up in the book. But he was looking for this story mm-hmm. where, you know, models had been uh, mistreated. And, but I think going back to the 70s, I mean, obviously, there was a lot going on. But I think he was kind of, when this was, must have been the, the day when Kate Moss started, and then she was in the papers every day for snorting something or doing something or falling out of an aeroplane or whatever. And he was looking for that kind of scandal back in the 70s. Was it Michael Gross? Michael? Yes. By golly, I think it was. He wrote a book called Model. No, that absolutely, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was him, yeah. Yeah. He actually did a book a couple, like, I still haven't read it, it just came out a, a couple of years ago, called Focus, which is about fashion photographers. Right. Exposing the world behind, like, Bailey, you he know, was, all He of, was looking for it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was looking for it. I've always been very interested in the 60s and 70s, particularly right. in London, and it just seems like the energy was so amazing. It was. It was. I mean, I suppose it was the last of that. I mean, it was, the 70s was, was kind of quite dark, I think. We all see um, decades, don't we, in different colours. Mm-hmm. Um, an analyst did explain it to me once. Well, I think, I think Jung um, had a reason for it and how it worked. Um, but, I mean, the 60s tends to be sort of black and white. And then the 70s kind of sludgy, greeny, grey. And it's absolutely true. It's sort of what the 70s was. But it was good. I mean, everybody just got on with it. And it was just fun and a bit mad. And people did behave badly, for sure. But I think it, bo- it worked both ways. You know, I think... Um, yeah, I mean, I, did, I never really saw men and women as being separate. It was kind of mutual. That's mm-hmm. fine. Yes, please. No, thank you. Done. <laughs> I think. But, um, yeah, in the 60s, 60s was something else entirely. And here we are in a new, the millennium age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know what all that's about, really. But... We get older, and um, uh, uh, my sister is um, she's a bit older than me. She cannot because because my son's in the music business. Um, we've learned about um, hip hop and a bit of grime and Stormzy and all the rest. Love it. Know about it now. I mean, when he first started playing it, 
few years ago, it was like, God, do you have to? (laughs) But my sister is absolutely locked in with the music of the 60s and 70s. And and she doesn't sort of get it. And I said, well, listen, don't you remember our parents listening to the Beatles, four nice, wholesome boys playing pretty tunes? And to them, it was absolutely ghastly. And now, this is, you're doing exactly, exactly <laughs> the same. And it's, yeah, it's sort of true, isn't it? Things move on. But I think it's exciting. I, I like it. Um, and she was married to Roger Waters, right? Yeah. And what was yeah. it like working with Pink Floyd? I was working with Roger, not okay. Floyd, because Floyd worked with Roger, not Floyd. <laughs> Floyd, as it were. Um, yeah, Stork, well, that, that, so that album cover, I did the final cut. They were in the middle of the, if the, of the breakup. Um, Storm Thorgerson had done, and Poe had done mm-hmm. everything else to that point. And that was when I was living with Roger and Carolyn. And so, I mean, we would just talk about, I mean, he would, you know, talk about it every night about what they'd just done and the new song and this and that and the other. So it was kind of natural in a way that I do the stills. I think actually I think Storm wasn't very well maybe at that point. I'm not sure. I mean it wasn't a sort of big snub breakup. Mm. Anyway, so I, I did those. Um, but but if I'd been in a band with Roger like Dave Gilmore, I'm not surprised they don't talk. <laughs> I really am not surprised. I mean, we had a we had a great time, you know, because uh, my sister was together for seventeen years, um, so we had a lot of laughs. But on the on the film, he loved the stills, absolutely not a problem there. But the film, um, the film was twenty minutes, and we used I think four four of the tracks but made it into a modular thing so that each one worked as a separate entity and it came on the heels of uh, god he hated the wall um alan parker's mm-hmm. film it. hated that um and i thought it was pretty good and i think roger would have preferred to have the whole thing much more bleak and much more serious, and blood, and gore, and, <laughs> and um, I don't know, I mean, the, my video sort of ended up kind of, it was slightly, a little bit, little bit surreal moments, and um, yeah, anyway, I mean, he didn't, he had a lot of complaints about that, and so I changed one or two things, which was fine, and that was all right. And then at the end, it was kind of okay. But I think he would have rather preferred um, Paths of Glory, you know, Stanley Kubrick's war film. I think he would have preferred that rather than... Because I was following on from the wall, so I tried to keep it kind of in that... Um, you know, the schoolmaster was still there. I mean, I don't know if you ever saw the film. Um, and, and the schoolmaster's wife was the same woman who played it in the film. So I was just trying to keep it kind of, you know, to flow on. And, and because he didn't like the film very much, and, and he and Parker 
Um, they sort of fell out, I think, very early on. But I mean, that's what you do. It's not, like, I've been working on um, this guy, a Hong Kong Chinese, and he came to me about three years ago and he self-published a book. He's actually um, a financial director and um, he'd written this book on his iPhone, um, waiting in airports, train stations, whatever, when he was traveling. And I think self-published it. And um, anyway, through a mutual friend, it got to me. And he was desperate to have it made into a movie. And so I did, uh, I did three drafts for him. And I realized how difficult it was because there was a lot of his book I couldn't use, you know, because it's not going to be, because it's interior, and it was just not going to be filmable. Mm -hmm. So I was really aware of that, um, that side of things, and that, you know, of his feelings, because it was absolutely his baby. And he said, it was the other thing that, that friends of his read the book, people read the book, oh, God, make a marvellous movie, but, you know, does, does it. <laughs> and um, so taking things out anyway then uh, I, I went on um, working on it and um, uh, so finally I've got it to I think about 12 drafts later and there's only about 20% of his book and I have to say he's been really good about it but it was just um, I, I mean I kept as much of his stuff in but it just wasn't working um because it wasn't being kind of organic. And then a, then a producer said to me, just, just forget the book, you've got to forget the book, forget it. And um, so I did the last draft, but I forget it. And then the whole thing sort of come together. And do you enjoy the writing process? Yeah, yeah, I do, I do, I do. So I've written several scripts, but they haven't, you know, I sort of wrote myself out. I did a, I did a short film which was a calling card, which was a Chekhov short story, which was great, it was fun. But there are things that, there are things that didn't work because uh, we were still shooting film in those days, and it was about 1999. It was, everything was much more expensive to do. Um, but if it was all done digitally now, there is stuff that I could put in which would make it a better film. I do. I do. So this one, I think this one will crack it. I think we're now in a, in a good shape. I mean, the you know the wall was pretty much all Roger's idea, and then the final cut was sort of really a lot of off cuts from from the wall, and so he doesn't want other people to be messing about. So Dave, at that point, was just kind of giving up. It's like, oh God, okay. Because Roger was saying, no, 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 gotta do that. And uh, gotta do this, gotta do that, gotta do it my way. But you know, e creative people have egos, don't we? You know, we don't want to see our work carved up by somebody else. Yeah, um, it's hard. But it's then, hard to give up that, um, you know, control. And yeah. Not, not micromanage it, you know. Yeah. Whereas doing a film, I mean, it is amazing, I think, how many film directors are total egomaniacs. But I kind of like, I mean, I am as much as the next man, probably. But if it's, I love other people's input, 
on that. Um, you know, because the sound man is a specialist in sound. So if he can offer something a bit better, that's great. Actors, I love actors. Wonderful. Because they bring the whole thing, you know, you can write, write a page, but when they do it, it's like, oh, wow. Now mm. it suddenly means something. You've kind of heard it in your head, but um, now it really is kicking off. The, uh, the TV show which I developed, it started out, I got headhunted by some guy who turned out to be nuts. Anyway, I then got involved with a production company called Story Vault, who do, I don't know if you've seen it, um, Portrait Artist of the Year. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly good. It's like they find people and to paint portraits. I mean, it sounds like watching paint dry, but it's not. It's absolutely fascinating because it's beautifully done as these people kind of come up with these incredible portraits. Anyway, developed it then with them. And the idea was because it seemed to me that, that fashion had just become terribly plain, or fashion photography had mm-hmm. become terribly plain. You know, and I realise now that this was part of the kind of financial... It was almost sort of getting back to... Um, catalogue work of the kind of 70s which people did for money if you could bear it <laughs> and, um, so the idea of this was to have have your contestants um, and then you get very good people involved obviously and you set them a task but using somebody say a, a great architect um, Norman Foster say and you get him to one of his buildings or something, and he says, okay, I want you to go and use this building. Huh? And then Lucinda Chambers or Grace says, okay, and think this is what you're going to be wearing. And then to go off and see how they could do it and see if they could then use... Because it was really all about telling a story. It's not about telling a story anymore, is it? No. Fashion photography at all. Um, and... Um, Anyway, so it kind of nearly got picked up, and it nearly got picked up, but then Channel, Channel 4 wanted Vogue, but then Alex was leaving, and then Edward joined. So it's one of those things that's kind of lurking in the background. But there could be, a t- you know, there probably will be a time, maybe the longer it goes on, there could be a time for it. Because it would be yeah. interesting to see, you know, what people can do and, and whether they still have that kind of... Because photography has become so ubiquitous, hasn't it? I mean, because everybody in the yeah. world is a photographer mm-hmm. now. And um, it'd be very interesting to see, you know, find people out there and see if they could convert into that, telling a story in that one fashion picture. Anyway, we'll see. It's still out there. When you were shooting, what did you shoot with? Hasselblad. Mm-hmm. Always loved the Hasselblad. So I mean, like I a would... nice square format. Nice square format, yeah. And then Terry would cut into it. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Barney? Bring that Barney. Um, you know, give it a square it up on the page. Hasselblad was just great. And the, the thing of a square image is kind of weird, isn't it? Because... It, and I never understood why. I mean, being movie minded, it should be, um, you know, landscape. I should be liking landscape, which I do. 
but there was something about the square image. And somebody once said, well, it's not an image that, I mean, square is not something that, you know, we look landscape or we look uh, to the vertical, but square, we don't. It's something that's completely alien to us mm -hmm. as human beings. And it's true, isn't it? Yeah, it's not it related is. to anything. Um, but I love it. I still love it. Um, and going through, and I've scanned, I've scanned everything that I've got now, and going through everything, I could see the square. I didn't want to cut into any of them. Interesting. But the other thing, I, I always added uh, lights outside because you could seldom get a definition in the sky and I never really liked sky white eyes. And I think, I think probably because when I grew up and I was around a lot of kind of family paintings of, you know, like I was often is, and those old painters, always there was sky detail. Mm -hmm. And there was like a sort of sun coming in over here. Um, that and movies, black and white movies, because they always had sky, they never had white sky, <laughs> do they, yeah. you know, highlighted sky. And always doing that, and you could do, with a house of lads you could do that, because you can stop down the, the speed, whereas on a Nikon, you can only go down, if you're using flash, you can only go down, I think, to 125th, so you can't take it down. And, um, uh, so I'd always back up on a trip, I'd always back up with Nikons, but the pictures were just never the same, because mm. the, the definition of the sky would never be there. I came back to Barry, the Paris collections, and Barry was working with Marie, oh, he was working with Grace, she was doing it, so working through the night, and he was, I can't remember who else there was, anyway, he was shooting with Marie, and so I was in Paris at the same time, I think I was doing something with Marie Claire. Anyway, and I turned up in a studio, Marie's studio, at um, sort of midnight, and his assistant hadn't turned up, and um, uh, Bailey was assisting him because Bailey had gone to pick up Marie, and bloody hell, he was good. He was spot on, <laughs> um, and that was Hasselblad, and, and Bailey was sort of counting down and saying, two more, and you had the spare thing, and. Um, finished and off they went and that, then I took over and God by the end of the evening I thought I was going to go mad because he worked in such silence and everything was so precise and so fine that there was just no noise you could hear you really could hear a pin drop you just had to stand there and winding the film on and that was, a, that was an experience, <laughs> working with Barry. Yeah. You know, because I always liked sort of a bit of music activity on or something. I mean, most people do, but not Barry. You know, so about five o'clock in the morning, it's like when it was finished, I just wanted to go into the, screen, into the street, scream, <laughs> shout with joy and elation. Yeah, so that was, that was Barry then. And his quality was, I mean, Clive's quality was good, but Barry's was super good, mm -hmm. you know, because it was all in the camera. And then I'm trying to get my book together. Amazing. Get it all in a book. Why not? Yeah. Before I pop off. 
Have you been talking to publishers? Uh, not yet, no. I've been really lucky. So um, Mike Tro, who was picture editor at Vogue, you know, so Mike's going to do it, and Harriet Wilson. And she sort of leapt on board. She said, no, no, I'd really love to do it, and no, I don't want paying. And I think Tim Rennie, who's just set up his own company, and he was art director on, and he teaches at Condonat School, I think. And he was on Indian Vogue, art director on Indian Vogue. Fantastic. And that, yeah, yeah, very exciting, actually. Yeah, I mean, when you look back on everything, your whole look like all of it, what are you most proud of? I mean, probably, I mean, there's one picture, probably, probably Jelly. I mean, there are others that I look back on and I think, oh, God, that was, God, how did I do that? That was kind of different. I think I'm, I'm, I think I'm pretty proud of it all, actually. Of just had, having had that career, of not wanting to be a fashion photographer. And then seeing it all together... I think it's a good, because really it was only sort of 73 to sort of 81, 82. I mean, there were a few things after. So what's that? Yes, about sort of 10 years. I think it was quite a lot of sort of good work. I mean, I'd be very interested to see it all put together kind of in a book and yeah. laid out and see what people think of it. One of Mike Tro's ideas or thoughts is that is how... Um, contemporary a lot of the work is mm-hmm. um, which is interesting I've never never thought of it like that at all I'm very thrilled with it all I mean I think I can look back and just be pleased with it I don't have a kind of a massive ego in that respect I'm just, I consider myself incredibly fortunate and the thing, I, I, there's a uh, I photographed Cary Grant with Michael Roberts. I did a lot of stuff when he was at the Sunday Times. A lot of fun stuff we did. And Cary Grant, and I look back at that, and I can remember the shoot so well. And, I, and he told me, and I set up, I took tungsten maps because Michael was talking to him when I was photographing. And um, I didn't want to use flash to kind of interrupt things. I just bought kind of a key lamp. And I put it over there just to sort of, you know, it was a working now. And he told me to move it. I can't do his voice. Boy, bring the light over here. And it was that, I think that. And looking back now, he was such a star. And I'm just looking at these movies. And I kind of wish I could go back there now. Because at that time, it was just like, get the picture, do the thing. That, to me, looking back at it now, that is just kind of, my God, I photographed Cary Grant, of all people, you know, and there are other... And then the, the Stones, when I, I did the Stones in 69, and a friend of mine was a BP Fallon, he's still big news in, in Dublin, and we're in touch on Insta, which is nice. And um, uh, he was doing the uh, interview, uh, Brian Jones... He was still alive, I think. Anyway, Mick Taylor had joined, and they were rehearsing in the basement of Apple's, uh, you know, the Beatles' Apple offices in Savile Row, and it was just BP and me and them. And it was like, you know, and I was, because I'm actually much younger than all those people, well, not much, but pretty much younger. So, you know, 
these people were kind of like gods. Yeah, sure. And looking back on it, it's like, my God, <laughs> hang on. I was in a room with the Stones, them, rehearsing, and me, BP, passing a joint around and just taking a few pictures. And they didn't want me there, so I just sort of crept around. And actually, I really liked the pictures because they didn't want me there. There was none of that, none of the posturing. Um, and I was able just to sort of creep around and get them kind of more reflective than, mm. you know, everything. Not long after that, whenever they saw a camera, it was all like, you know, they'd turn it on. And um, so those things, and I go, you know, I look back and I think, God, I've been lucky. You know, how incredible. Whereas Bailey, who knew them all or whatever, to him, it was just probably kind of something else. But I just look at all that and the fact that um, I got there, got to a certain place, is just miraculous to me and wonderful and pleasing. <laughs> B. Miller used to have soirees in her flat and all the people who used to go there, and I used to go because of Grace, I assume, and uh, uh, I mean they were just incredible evenings, you know, with Peter Sellers and uh, Paul McCartney and Beaton and, you know, maybe sort of 15, 20 people. It was all like sort of, you know, one thing that was Beaton, Beaton said to um, uh, Paul McCartney, he said, oh, I'd, I love your I love your new album. All things must come to pass. And McCartney told him that that wasn't him. That that was George Harrison. And it was one of those moments where everybody had sort of slightly gone quiet. And um, it's like that is really disingenuous. <laughs> you could have just you know he was an old man. And you could have just let that go. But sort of just moments like that with all those people. Which at the time, it was like, oh, this is pretty amazing, you know, and I just felt kind of young, green kid, fresh from the country. And, um, but looking back on it, how amazing. Very few people get to experience those yeah, kind of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That and um, the fact that I got a few pictures out of it that still kind of held up, I think, is... That's what I'm proud of, I think. But there's still more stuff to do. I mean, I would love to jump in a Range Rover, you know, I'm just thinking of going back to the Scottish trip with Grace, and the suitcase full of clothes, and carrying me around, and, um, uh, you know, go off to Scotland and do, and have another shoot with Grace like that, you know, with her clothes and the thing. I mean, I would love to do that again. But it would be... I mean, not not to try and do it f to be published as such, yeah. but just to go off and have that creative joy, because mm -hmm. it was it was such fun and uh, and creatively so exciting. Nobody really cared about B. Miller or the directors. I mean, I don't mean that. I mean, that's all you thought about was like pushing it and go, mm -hmm. you know, and if you didn't see the clothes, I'm sure she'd pass it. Oh, you better just do one. Okay. <laughs> and sort of keep that, keep the frame back or something. But it was, well, you know, and it, it's, um, uh, I mean, I'm uh, it, uh, when I did commercials, I, um, there were times when 
if the producer would say, uh, no, I'm sorry, we can't afford a steady cam or something. And um, I would just say, listen, take it out of my fee. It's that attitude mm. of, don't care about that, just want the shot. This is going to make it better, or, the, or the, the scene or the sequence or whatever. So who are your favourite photographers of all? Your fashion, favourite fashion photographers? You know, I feel like when I first got into fashion photography, I was really into, like, Guy Bourdain, you know, yeah, as a teenager. Me too. Me and too. I still, I mean, I still think they're incredibly, yeah, they're really amazing. Yeah. But I don't feel like I'm, I look for them as this, in the way that I used to. Like, I don't, right. know, no. I don't, I'm not, like, consciously seeking it out or... No, um, no. So if there's an exhibition, I'll go, but... But Bourdain, he was my absolute hero and but now maybe because like you i'm not sort of seeking it out and i see them and it's always like okay yeah i think i've seen them so much yeah that yeah. i'm not and that look was and everyone's know, the copied it and the hair and the thing. everyone's copied it so much yeah you know like basically frame for frame you know you see yeah. it over and over again in fashion magazines and in madonna's music videos and everything yeah. like yeah it doesn't have the same no, no, he was great. Way. He was a kind of, he was a weird guy. He, um, uh, when he came over to do a job with Vogue, he, and working with Grace, and he shot in our house. I think he just wanted a plain background. Anyway, he shot it there. And then we were going to Paris, and he allowed us to shoot in his studio. I say he allowed us to shoot. <laughs> well, he did. Um, and that, to me, was just, oh, my God. And you just go in and all those props and, you know, the mad things from the shoots and that was there. Absolute pit it was. <laughs> Total pit. And he had this floor and there was a picture, and I remember it, and it was a, I think it was a Jordan, of girls coming through um, a hole in the floor. And he must have built some steps, I guess, going through it. It was all lit from underneath. Um, and he just he just saw this thing out of the studio floor, and you could see where it was. <laughs> it was still there. Go, oh right, we need let's put some steps in there. Um, but that was just magic, you know. Bought out studio, God. Huh. You know, that's another one of those moments of being sort of in awe of, yeah. uh, you know, just being kind of the whole thing. Of, so lucky. All those yeah. people who were so good and iconic and yeah. But he was a funny bro. He couldn't you couldn't call him two. He had to be Vu. And um, I mean the stories that, that Grace used to have of his kind of his mad behaviour. Have you heard that one of uh, he had a house in um, uh, on the coast, I think I think it was Brittany or Normandy. The sea wasn't blue enough. Have you heard that one? So he sent out, I think she was, I know, Sybil was the girlfriend. Anyway, whoever his right hand was, and he sent her off to buy pots of dye to put in the sea, which they did, and then the sea came in. One rollover wave. <laughs> that was the end of it. About <laughs> ten of these pots <laughs> to make the sea go blue. Oh, okay, that didn't really work. 
<laughs> but all those tales of you know his kind of obsession, mm-hmm. and he absolutely wouldn't. But I don't know now. There's a certain kind of sadistic element which kind of creeps through to me now. Which I'm not. That's why I'm slight, I'm not exactly a hundred percent sure now. I mean, I do. I see it, and I love it, and I think it's just brilliant. But there's a kind of said that that a few years ago and I suddenly thought that I preferred Helmut because mm-hmm. although they're I mean they're on the same sort of you know trajectory in a, in a way I don't know it's funny I mean photography lasting it's interesting isn't it I tell you who's really good because I Grace and I used to see him quite a lot was Parkinson oh yeah so good Amazing. Looking back at all his work, and it just keeps cropping up. You think, my God, that is so before its time. Because he slightly had the reputation then of being a sort of society photographer. Mm-hmm. And he was, I mean, he was lovely, but it, it was only sort of when he died and when the book came out, and now through Instagram and things that you haven't seen. I mean, wonderful work he did. Yeah, those are really beautiful. And I th- do you think? And I mean, he's not. I'm not sure how rated he is as a f- photographer. Maybe he is. I don't know. I mean, I think he is, but not in. You know, I think there's a certain. I think fashion photography, in a way, like in the mass sort of perception, has gotten kind of just focused on Avedon and Irving Penn. Yeah. Yeah. And Newton, really. Yeah. It's like the only ones that people outside of the world yeah. kind of know. Yeah. Um, whereas I think that, you know, it's, his style is different, but I, in a way, I enjoy it more. It's more, right. yeah. um, I like the colors and the, and I feel like that there often is a real story even, you know, to yes. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the sense of the place and the person and everything. Yeah. Which do you think, who's got the best fashion, uh, the photographers, which do you think is the best fashion book? I mean, the best photographer's book. I mean, photographer. I don't know. I mean, because now a lot of them have so many sort of books. They, get, they just keep coming, coming out. out. Yeah, so I feel like there's a lot of books I haven't even looked at. Because yeah. I've seen, I have. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm not really sure. Right. Um, I think Bailey's got some nice ones because he's got a lot of different ones, but they, they I like that they're the sort of different subjects of them, you know. Yeah. They've been done yeah. well. Um, I just love Penn's first book, Moments Preserved. I think it mm-hmm. was. I just remember that was one of the first. I think I was must have been out when I was working for Clive, and I just remember being bowled over by that. Well, I'm excited for you to do a book. Can't wait. Thank you. I'm excited, yes. Yeah, I am excited, actually. And Grace said the other day, um, she said, well, you know, if you'd like me to do a forward or something, um, you know, write a bit of something. Yeah, I thought you were never going to ask. She said, but, you know, I mean, if you suddenly come across Kim Kardashian or something and you want her to do it, (laughs) no. Kim Kardashian has nothing to do with my work. <laughs> Thank you very much. I will have you. <laughs> it's been wonderful. Thank you. An absolute pleasure. I'm so glad to meet you.
Thanks again for listening to this conversation with Willie Christie. We have many wonderful conversations coming up in the next few weeks with illustrators, makeup artists, porn stars, and many more. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode. All episode materials are available at ladyworld.tv and on our newsletter. See you next week. Thank you.